This is Jeb Blunt, author of Objections, the ultimate guide for mastering the art and science of getting past no, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover the smartest ideas behind what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some of the helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in. Just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018 in Cleveland this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is a wonderful event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm going to be leading the workshop Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching technical audiences. For details, go to contentmarketingworld.com and for the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code marketingbook and they'll knock $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of his drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details in a few minutes and now on with the show. Today we welcome Jeb Blunt back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his newest book, Objections, the ultimate guide for mastering the art and science of getting past no, published by Wiley. Jeb Blunt is the author of nine books and is among the world's most respected thought leaders on sales, leadership, and customer experience. Through his global training organization, Sales Gravy, which is one of the greatest company names ever. Jeb advises many of the world's leading organizations and their executives on the impact of emotional intelligence and interpersonal skills on customer-facing activities. And interesting fact, he spends over 250 nights a year on the road, which is why he is the hardest working man in sales. Yes, he is the James Brown of sales. <laughs> Jeb, congratulations on objections and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. I love the Marketing Book Podcast and this is the highlight of my year that I get to be on this podcast with you again. So thank you so much. Oh boy. Well, listen, now this is a special episode and you're a special author and here's part of the reason why. After this interview, there is going to be a special induction ceremony, and you are going to be inducted into a very small and exclusive group called the Marketing Book Podcast Three-Timers Club, because this awesome. is the third time you've been on the podcast, and you now join the ranks of Dory Clark, Joe Polizzi, your fellow Wiley author, David Meerman Scott, and Mark Schaefer, as that's the entire Marketing Book Podcast, Three Timers Club, and you are the first sales book author who's who's wow. in the Three Timers Club. 
So you get a little oak leaf cluster for that. And there's another author who may actually, I, if I play my cards right, he, I might be able to get him in the three-timers club. It's a guy named Anarino. And, you know, if you know anybody that knows him, uh, you know, just put in a good word for me. He's, he's been on twice, and I know he's working on a third book. He is. He's got a brand new book coming out called Eat Their Lunch. I wrote the foreword to that book. Ah. So I may be able to, I may be able to help you. Okay. Maybe put in a good word. Hopefully he'll remember having been on the, on the podcast. And maybe, you know, I got to meet him at the Outbound Conference, which was the very first Outbound Conference you did. And I want to ask you, you dedicated this book to the Titans, which just uh, brought a big smile to my face. Explain who the Titans are and Maybe you could also explain more about the Outbound Conference. Yeah, the, so the, there's four people, and I'm one of the four, the group of four. Anthony Anarino, who you just mentioned, Mark Hunter, who uh, is the author of High Profit Prospecting, and uh, Mike Weinberg, who is the author of New Cell Simplified. And the four of us are collectively known. I'm not sure how we ended up with this name, but we're the moniker that's been applied to us are the four Titans. But uh, they're my best friends in the world. We, we are both professional. We put on the outbound conference, which is, has just turned massive. Yeah. You just had your second one. Yeah. It was, it was, and I don't know if you saw the pictures incredible. So we just started selling tickets on Monday, uh, or two yesterday for, the Outbound 2019 conference that will double the size. So we'll, we'll end up with 1,200 people there at the Georgia Rural Congress Center. So the four of us put this thing on. That's going to be triple the size of the first one. It is. Well, the first one was about 350 people. And last year, or in 2018, back in April, we put a little over 600 people in there. We were bringing in extra chairs because people were just showing up off the street and buying tickets on the spot. And we are moving from our, we were at the Intercontinental, we moved to the Omni because they were had a bigger place to hold us. And now we're moving to the Georgia World Congress Center. We'll be in the Georgia Ballroom and it's just gorgeous, most beautiful place. So amping up the entire process. Now it's a four day event. And four days. Holy four cow. Four days. Yeah. So we have a VIP day, then we have two main event days and then the elite uh, training tracks. Which we which we sold out of last year faster than anything. We'll have twenty different workshops and those training tracks from a lot of people that you know. So a lot of you know, of the, the the top experts in sales will be there speaking. We'll have more speakers on the main stage. A main stage. We put on a big show. We, it's known as the rock show for salespeople, but it, it's literally a rock show. I mean, the the music, the the lights. We even have a fog. So <laughs> oh like wow, you walk out. There's nothing like it in the world, and people. People have so much fun. So I dedicate the book to these guys because I think that the three of them, Anthony, Mark, and Mike, they've, you know, they've changed the shape of sales and they share my passion for advancing sales as a profession. So in a world where a lot of people are, you know, and, and they've been doing this since the 1940s, but a lot of people <laughs> cheer for the demise of sales. You know, my message and, and the message of these, of these other titans is it's a great career. It's a great place to be. And as you know, this is the marketing book podcast. As you know, sales and marketing have become more intertwined than ever before. And th there's a symbiotic relationship there that I think has grown together beyond anything that we ever imagined. I mean, when I started working in marketing back in the, in the 90s, I was a marketing manager at a Fortune 500 company that came out of the sales organization and went into marketing and then eventually went back into sales. It was a different world back then. We mm -hmm. were intertwined, but we weren't. We weren't sharing the same space, and today marketers and salespeople share the same space, and we depend on each other in ways that we never did before. So 
uh, these guys just they, they work very hard in a really positive way to advance the profession of selling, and that's why I dedicated the book to them. Yes, and thank you for reminding me. You know, this is the Marketing Book Podcast, I, but I have a lot of authors of sales books on, and in part because marketers now, even you, you said you said years ago it wasn't quite as important. Marketers now who don't understand sales, or let me put it another way, marketers now who have a deep understanding of sales, the sales process, and how the customer buys are going to be much more effective as marketers, are going to be more in-demand as marketers. And I, I would hope that you start to have more marketers attend the Outbound Conference. And I should add, when I went to that first Outbound Conference, I think I was the only person in the world that had been at both the inbound and Outbound Conference. So, you know, to the listener, I, sw- <laughs> I swing both ways, baby. So <laughs> That's true. Inbound and Outbound together are a beautiful thing. I mean, yes. It's really powerful. And there's a false dichotomy that you should only be doing one or the other. Not true. You've got to do both. Yeah. You got to do both and you got to do you got to do both exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And here's what's interesting, when we look at who hires my company to come in and train their salespeople, our number one hiring our buyer, you know, the signer of a contract is the CMO. Really? We get hired more often by marketing than anywhere else. Why? Because smart CMOs recognize that there is no way through inbound that they can ever provide enough leads for the sales organization. And they get a little bit worn out on the sales organization, putting all the pressure on marketing for leads. So we come in and work with the sales organization on how to go outbound so that the we take pressure off marketing. Marketing's doing its job. And my message to the sales organization is, look, everything that marketing provides you is gravy. You should be thankful and, and you're lucky that you got a marketing organization that that believes in you, but you got to go outbound. You 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 have to play your role here as well. And when when you're playing your role and marketing is playing their role, sales begins to accelerate at an ever faster pace. Yeah, it's all part of a a balanced lead generation diet. And I want to I want to brag just a bit, but all four of the titans I have had the honor of interviewing on the Marketing Book Podcast. So that includes Anthony as well as uh, Mike Weinberg and Mark Hunter and two other folks that were at the Outbound Conference, Deb Calvert and James Muir. And I do know that James Muir and Mark Hunter are both listeners, regular listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. <laughs> so hello, gentlemen. And Jeb Blunt, whatever you say about Mark Hunter, you better go, go easy on him. But let's get into the book. So Jeb, tell me what you mean when you say as you did in the introduction, that this wasn't supposed to be this book. It wasn't. I, I, I had made the decision because we'd written, you know, fanatical prospecting and sales EQ that one of the problems that, that I see with sales organizations is that they, they're the art of negotiation has in some ways been left aside. And there's a lot of great negotiation books out there, not a lot of negotiation books that specifically deal with the way salespeople operate. So I plan on writing a book on negotiation. And one of my clients is the New York Mets, and I was there last summer going doing some work with them. They call it Jeb Unplugged, where I just basically sit in an auditorium and the sales organization throws any question they want at me and I just handle them. I wish you would videotape that. But your clients probably don't want you to. <laughs> it would be a we we need to do that. We need to videotape that because it's a, it's it's my favorite way to train. And a lot of organizations let me do that, where we just go in and they throw every challenge at us. And because we have such deep content across pretty much the spectrum of anything you might do with a customer, we can just 
we can train while we take their questions in a nonlinear, yeah. organic way. And they're even more engaged when you do it that way, I would think. Yeah. So, but I, I love the Mets. I love City Field. And, it, and so it was an opportunity for me not only to do something that I love, training salespeople, but also to go see a game. And after the three hours with their team, I'm sitting in the game and, and there's just this thing keeps bothering me. It's like there's just there was a pattern in their questions. And as I pondered on it and thought about it, what it what occurred to me was that the pattern was, even though it wasn't an overt pattern, that basically every question was, what do I do when someone tells me no? How do I handle this? How do I say this? What do I do here? What do I do there? And then as I started thinking about you know all of the, the training that I do and people walking up to me after a keynote or in a training, what do salespeople talk to me about? Almost always it is, what do I do when people tell me no? So I... I call. I got. The, I went back to my hotel in the city, and I I was I, I thought about it all night long, and that was when I said, okay, I'm going to write this book, and I named it Objections right there on the spot. I waited. I woke up early in the morning, like five o'clock in the morning, and I sat there and waited for eight o'clock to come along when my publisher, who's literally across the Hudson River, when they were get, when they got into work, and I called uh, Shannon Varga, who's my my publisher at Wiley, and said, I got this great idea, and here it is, and I pitched it. <laughs> and I thought she, I thought she was going to tell me no. I mean, I thought I'm, I'm pitching an objections book and I'm going to get an objection, but she didn't. She was like, "That's that's that's fantastic. Let's do it." And they had a contract in my hands the next day, signed the contract, and then realized that I I already had the the, the negotiation book in the works. So I had a I literally had to write a book between the end of August. So we, this was all around Labor Day. At the end of August, I had to have that book turned in at the end of December. And I, I can tell you that I, I missed my deadline by two weeks, but I did get it in. So, but, uh, but we, I mean, we, we got it in and we turned the book around and that's how it, that's how it all came together. And I, I gotta tell you, I love this book and I can't, I, I like writing. I love books, but I'm in love with this book. I think it's a, the best writing I've ever done. Some of it's just because after nine books, you get better at writing <laughs> and some, and some of it's just because I had such a short time to write the book that I really had to compress what I was mm, thinking. Mm-hmm. And I also, I love the book because I just love the subject matter. I love the way the book came together. It, I don't know. It was an organic process for bringing it together like this, but it's just a book that even as the author, I like reading. And in the pre-show, you, you and I were talking about, you know, the, the, as you read it, you kind of realize where you've made mistakes where you've hit an objection that you couldn't get past. And as I was reading the book, I mean, I'm I, look, I'm a sales practitioner. We're selling stuff every single day. I get objections every day and I make mistakes just like everybody else does. And, and I, as I'm writing the book, I'm remembering the mistakes that I made and the things that I ran into. So it, I'm just, it was just one of those weird things that happened, one of those aha moments that, that sparked this book. And, but I'm so glad that we did it. I'm, I love writing. I love promoting books. Clearly, you have to be that way after, after nine books. But I've never been as excited about a book as I have been this one. And I think the public is excited as well because I've never had a book that's been ranked as high you know, in, in terms of sales, you know, pre-sales. And of all my other books, nothing has ever captured people as fast as this book has. Interesting. And I think you said the Sales EQ book, the last one, was the hardest one. That you, that you ever wrote, completely different. Sales EQ was the hardest one. However, if you think about it, like I think everything in life is a is a step. 
this objections wouldn't have been possible without cells EQ. So mm-hmm. the hundreds of hours that I, of, of research that I did in cells EQ on human psychology and human influence frameworks and why we do the things that we do, how human beings are so predictable. So a, a, that information combined with the work that I did in fanatical prospecting, all of that came together in, in objections as we shifted the focus to how emotional it becomes when people tell us no and we get rejected and the science behind that, but also taking some of the directness from fanatical prospecting and some of the nuance from Sales EQ and combining that into a book that that tells the story of how we deal with rejection and and to get what we want, how do we have to employ frameworks that allow us to manage our emotions in those moments so we can push past no and and achieve our objectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's about a 200-page book, but let's make this the shortest podcast interview on the Marketing Book Podcast. Jeb, just go ahead and tell us, what is the silver bullet objection slayer? <laughs> well, I can tell you the truth, there is not one. Oh, there. <laughs> oh shoot. Just when I thought we were going to give it all away to the listener... Oh my goodness! There's not a, a a silver bullet objection slayer. There are there are no magic words. There is not a silver bullet. There's no easy button. There's there's no magic fairy dust. There are no unicorns. There are no leprechauns. And reading the book is not going to make all the pain of getting told no go away. Because that's yes. that's the truth. That's going to happen to you. So that's one of the problems that we have with so many of the books that are on the marketplace to try to deal with the subject of objections. Is they're all about telling you exactly what to say. Yes. Except for that person has to know every single thing about your business, and it's not possible because every situation is different. And the long sales cycles are longer, sales cycles are shorter, your product or service is different, you're different, your prospect is different. So this this idea that we're going to somehow or another give you the secret formula that's going to get you past objections every single time or give you exactly what to say, it would be disingenuous and it would be disingenuous and it would be basically a lie to tell you that that we could do that because we can't. We can only give you frameworks and with strategies. We're going to take a break here so I can talk about one of my favorite things, single malt scotch. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018. I'm going back this September to Cleveland for this awesome conference, and I'm looking forward to meeting more of you just like I did last year. That was so much fun. I'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. The workshop is Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers. If you're a manufacturing marketer and are able to attend, I just want to warn you, When this workshop is over, we may end up having to rush you to the emergency room at the Cleveland Clinic because you are going to be at risk of overdosing on so many awesome, practical, actionable marketing insights that are going to grow your manufacturing business and boost your career. To get the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock another $100 off your ticket price. That's right. That's $100 you can then spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. But enough about that. Let's talk about scotch. If that rock bottom price to attend Content Marketing World isn't enough incentive, here's one more. When you register using promo code marketing book, there's also 
a bottle of scotch in it for me from the nice people at Content Marketing World. We're talking win-win here, people. But now let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you feel bad about that. Well, you can still send me a bottle of single malt scotch. Seriously. The mailing address is at marketingbookpodcast.com. Do it. But let's say you can attend Content Marketing World and you're thinking, well, Douglas, I like your podcast, but I'm just not yet ready to send you a bottle of scotch. But I would like to show my appreciation for what you're doing here. I've got you covered, too. Here's what you do. First, pour yourself a drink. Have two. And then go to iTunes or Apple Podcast, as they call themselves now, and leave a one-sentence review for the Marketing Book Podcast. And then message me on LinkedIn and tell me which one is yours so I can raise a glass and toast your review and your good taste in podcasts. (laughs) And now, back to the show. Let me just, I can't resist. I've just got to read a couple things that are just, they're pure Jeb Blunt. From page 10, you said, if you are looking for a book that is going to tell you exactly what to say, you might want to take this one back for a refund now. I'm not going to do that because this is not a script book. And then it goes on to say, sure, there are articles online and books on the market that claim to have the 25, 32, or 50 ways to overcome sales objections. You might find a few good nuggets in in these tomes, but they're mostly cheesy, sleazy bullshit and a waste of your money. But wait. But wait, Jeb Blunt, there's more. And if for anyone that ever knew the of the actor Arlie Ermey, I could almost he was the fellow that was the, the actor that was at the beginning of Full Metal Jacket and he was in hundreds of movies, recently passed away. Somehow I envisioned him reading this this from the same same page or the same book on he I could imagine him saying, Let's get this straight from the get go. These charlatans, most of whom couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag, are just dead wrong. There is no perfect putter that will take 20 strokes off your game overnight. There is no easy button that will close the deal every time. There is no magic fairy dust that will take the sting out of rejection. There are no silver bullet words that will slay objections and stun prospects into submission. There are no perfect scripts that will turn no into yes every time. Artificial intelligence and software programs will not close the deal for you. There are no unicorns. Here are the two brutal and undeniable truths. The only way to eliminate rejection is to never ask for anything again, ever. And number two, to be successful in sales, you must ditch your wishbone and grow a backbone. And that's just the beginning (laughs) of the book. So I've just got to ask you to tell the listener what of all the important disciplines in sales, what is the most important discipline? You got to ask. The, the most important discipline is asking. It, because most of the time when you see salespeople who aren't getting what they want, it's because they're not asking. And, and, and they're not asking with assertiveness, with intention, and with assumption, assuming they're going to get the sale. And let me tell you how powerful this is. So, so two weeks ago, I was with a client and we were training 17 of their salespeople. And we spent about an hour with them just teaching them one thing, how to ask assumptively for what they want. That's mm-hmm. all we did. Mm-hmm. And then we all got back on the phone again. This is an inside sales team. And they're selling on the phone. So they're not setting appointments. They're calling people up, outbound calls, interrupting their day, and and trying to close the deal. We spent an hour with them teaching them how to ask. We got them back on the phone and spent 30 minutes on the telephone. 
and their results, their productivity, their outcomes. And I'm not talking about like wishy-washy outcomes, closed deals went up 600% from before we did the training until after we did the training, just on how you ask. Because how you ask has a a big role in reducing the resistance that you get in the first place. See, most people, because we're afraid of being rejected, we change the way we ask because we don't want to sound too pushy. We don't want to be too vulnerable. We don't want to, you know, ask and and be that person that's asking for stuff, not realizing that the weird paradox that we face with asking is when you try not to be pushy, you actually create more resistance and get more objections than if you just ask with assumption and you're assertive. And I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm just saying that you ask and assume that what you're going to get is a yes. Mm -hmm. And it works when you do that. Yeah, so one thing I didn't realize was the science behind our fear of rejection. Can you talk about how much biology is behind our natural fear of rejection? It's fascinating, isn't it? If you think about it, what most people don't recognize is that rejection is a double-edged sword. And on one side, our sensitivity to rejection is a good thing because sensitivity to rejection teaches us how to operate and work in groups. It tells us where the limits are, where the lines are drawn, when we maybe push too hard or we've crossed the line. We know those things. On the flip side of it, it holds us back because we were afraid that we might get rejected. But, but if we go back and look at the evolution of rejection, the human brain as in its modern form, basically came into being about 40,000 years ago. And that's when we can, we can go all the way back and see this is when you know, archaeologists can say that human beings, the who, the who we are today, that's who we were 40,000 years ago. And back 40,000 years ago, and really for, if you think about it, for about 35,000 years of our total existence – we lived in small groups of people who were either living in caves, living in groups, you know, under with some sort of shelter, you know, however they built it. But we weren't living in cities. We weren't doing all those things. We were living in groups and we were hunting and we were gathering. And it was a dangerous world because outside of your group, you had no protection. You had no fire, no warmth. You had no shelter. And there were things out there that were looking to eat you because you were part of the food chain. And by the way, other tribes were trying to take your resources. So being in your group and being part of that group is a really big deal. So if you were not sensitive to being rejected or being kicked out of the cave, then you probably would say things or do things that would get you kicked out of the cave. And it was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So human beings who, who developed a sensitivity to rejection were more likely from a probability standpoint to pass on their genes to future generations. And today – here we are, you know, in our modern world, and we still have that that evolutionary sensitivity to rejection. The problem for most of us is it's like our brains went to sleep by campfire 40,000 years ago in a cave and woke up on the streets of Manhattan. Our brains are still living. This, this sensitivity to rejection still operates in in a world of hunter-gatherers, not our modern world. And there's not a whole lot that we can do to change that. That's just the fact. So what we have to do is become aware of it. Mm -hmm. Awareness is the mother of change and understand why it impacts us, what, what happens, how it triggers our emotions, and that most of the emotions that happen to us because of rejection are happening without our consent. 
So my book is not trying to talk you out of feeling rejected. You are going to feel rejected when you get rejected. And even, you know, I, I can I can tell you that for 30 years I've been selling and I've been told no more times than most people have, you know, have ever been told no. And when I get rejected, I still feel rejected. The difference is, is that I've developed mechanisms that allow me to rise above those disruptive emotions that are triggered by rejection and continue my path forward so that I can get what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you also mentioned that it's really uh, kind of stupid and, and very unhelpful to say, oh, don't let rejection bother you. It bothers even Jeb, <laughs> even Jeb Blunt. I mean, there's a reason why it bothers you. But let's go a little further about the, the emotional control. And you said this is the most important lesson in the book. In every sales conversation, the person who exerts the greatest amount of emotional control has the highest probability of getting the outcome they desire. So talk about how some of the things you can do to start uh, mastering your own destructive emotions to become a a little more rejection-proof. Well, what, one of the things that you have to do is become aware of them. It, mm-hmm. so I, I don't think a lot of people – and look, let's get beyond sales. It doesn't make a difference who you are. You know, If you're a marketer, you've got to go to your boss and sell an idea. Are you got you're, you're you know you especially if you're a creative person you've got all these ideas you're bringing them to people and people reject your creative ideas all the time. By the way, that creative idea was something that you that you built. So it's not just an idea; it's an emotion that you feel. So you have to become aware of how you how you feel about that. So to me, that's number one. Awareness is the mother of change. Mm-hmm. It's also important that you start thinking about mechanisms that you can build or systems that you can build into your world. So one of those things, for example, is is recognizing that when you ask with assumption, it makes you feel super vulnerable. So everything inside of you is screaming, don't do this. But you have to understand from a logical, rational sense that when I ask with assumption, I improve the probability or increase the probability a person's going to say yes to me. So that that's an important piece of this. It's also important that you create frameworks. So one of the frameworks we use is something called a ledge. Mm-hmm. And all a ledge is is what neuroscientists call the magic quarter of a second. And, and the magic quarter of a second is this moment that you use to disrupt the disruptive emotions that are happening inside of you. One of those is something called fight or flight that gets kicked off when you feel threatened. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to when you, <laughs> back to the caveman, yeah, <laughs> to the caveman, right? If you, you were about to get kicked out of the cave, right? If you were about to get rejected, your brain evolved to say that's not a good thing. I'm about to get I'm about to get in trouble here. So I need to either stand my ground or run away because getting kicked out of the cave is a bad thing. So that's happening inside of you. So what the magic quarter of a second is is something that you simply say. That gives you just a moment to get your rational brain in control of what's happening so that you can rise above the disruptive emotions of fear and security, your need for significance, attachment, all of those things that are happening to you. You can rise above those. And so in most of the objection frameworks that we teach, in fact, all of the objection frameworks we teach, we, we start with what is the ledge? What is, what is the automatic response that you have in that situation that gives you just that, that brief second to get your your rational, logical brain, your neocortex, and executive control over what is happening. Then you can craft your process, what you're going to say, what you're going to do in that particular moment, in the context of what you are, are trying to get the other person to comply with the request you're asking for to, to manage that. So, so the, the, the frameworks, these systems, they're really about 
two things. One, they're about managing your own emotions, so putting you in executive control, and also influencing the behavior and the emotions of the person who is telling you no. And you have to do both things because objections are double-sided. On one side, you are you know, feeling all of these emotions as vulnerability when someone tells you no. And it's not your fault. You were just born that way. That's, that's how human beings operate. You know, on the flip side of that, you got another person, a buyer, or the person that you're selling your idea to, or you're asking for a loan from, or trying to get investment money, or I mean, going on a date, and you know, any of those things. Getting a zoning ordinance changed. <laughs> yeah, getting a zoning ordinance changed. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with that right now. You know, so you're you're dealing with that in that situation. You've got resistance there as soon as you ask. So understanding what causes that resistance in other people and being able to then leverage influence frameworks to reduce that resistance, that pays off as well. So everything that we teach is, you know, is a is part of a greater system. It's it's managing your emotions, it's reducing the resistance that other people feel, and it's creating systems and processes and frameworks that allow you to do that in a way that makes it easy for people to say yes to you. And then in a broader system, it's making sure that you're following the steps, especially in sales, of a process that gets you in position that improves your win probability in that particular situation. And by the way, that process in sales is a similar process that you go through anytime you're trying to sell something. So for example, if you want to get an ordinance changed, if you don't walk to the door with your homework done, if you haven't done discovery, if you haven't built your case, you may ask assumptively, but it's going to be harder for people to say yes to you because you haven't done that work in advance. Mm -hmm. Let's bring this to vivid life with what I thought was probably the most interesting story in the book. And perhaps it's because I'm a U.S. Army veteran, but you talked about something that was just unbelievable, but then this story helped me understand what the book was even more about, and that is you worked with U.S. Army recruiters, and you still do, and I I think you've got a program to help recruiters with their uh, prospecting. And you talked about how a number of these non-commissioned officers in the Army, maybe some officers too, they were more afraid to prospect with 18-year-old high school students than they were to go back into a firefight. And many of them were trigger-pulling combat veterans. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah, it just tells you how, how powerful the, the rejection is and, and the, the, whole, the emotional hold it has on us as human beings. And the story that I told was from Fort Harrison in Montana, and I was standing in front of this group of combat veterans who are recruiters, and they were spending all their time convincing me that Facebook was a better way for them to go about <laughs> recruiting. And I knew the truth because I, I knew their mission numbers, and I knew how far behind they were on their mission. And their sergeant major, our, our command sergeant major, had you know grabbed me and said, you know, I need you to hit these guys pretty hard. And when a command sergeant major tells you <laughs> they hit somebody pretty hard, not only do you need to hit them hard, you better do it right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I love CSMs. They're my favorite people in the world because they're just badass all the way around. Pretty much, so yeah. I, <laughs> so I'm sitting there having a conversation with these guys, and they're like arguing, 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 arguing. And I finally looked at them, and I'm like, I'm like, have you guys been in combat? They all went, they all, yeah, raise your hand, yeah. And I said, and were people shooting at you in combat? And they all said, yeah. And they were trying to kill you, right? And they said, yeah. 
And I said, so what you're telling me is that you are more afraid to pick up a phone and call a teenager than you are to get shot at. And they all nodded their heads and said, <laughs> yes, sir. And I'm like, what? like, it was just this moment for me that it changed everything. It was the moment that I've got this, my new book, Fanatical Military Recruiting is coming out this fall. And I wrote a book about it. I, I spent more time with the military. You can possibly imagine studying it and working with the recruiters. We built a, an entire training program that we deliver to the military on recruiting because we recognized that the military taught them the systems and processes for managing their fight or flight response and their emotions in a firefight. Mm -hmm. They went through a similar process. They know how to get executive control of those emotions so that they know what to do in a firefight and they don't get themselves or other people killed, but they have no mechanism in place for managing rejection. <laughs> the same fight or flight response that they know how to manage when someone is physically trying to hurt them, they don't understand how to manage when there's a social threat. And all we had to do is show them and teach them the frameworks for managing it, and we get massive results. Same thing. We go get these guys on the telephone, teach them how to deal with prospecting objections, and they get 20, 30, and 40% improvement in productivity. That's interviews set with qualified prospects in a very short period of time just by teaching them that mechanism. And then the boot camps we run them through are no different than what the military teaches. They just teach them obstacle immunity on the battlefield. We teach them obstacle immunity on the battlefield of emotions. Mm -hmm. If people like those soldiers can be trained to go toward the sound of enemy gunfire they can be trained to deal with objections that's just that was was amazing yeah <laughs> they can be but i'm glad that you saw that story because it was if you know in my whole life i've been you know in business for 30 years that moment was a defining moment for me understanding how powerful this is and by the way i've repeated that moment over and over and over again in our in our fanatical prospecting boot camps i'll have you know, 94, 90, 100 people in an auditorium who are all NCOs who have all been in combat. And I, and I throw this out at them. I said, you guys are more afraid of taking, you know, of talking to teenagers and taking bullets. And they all go, yep, absolutely. <laughs> at least they were honest. They're all honest with you. They're the most honest people in the entire world. And, and they get it. Like they, they don't know why it, from an emotional standpoint, it's so hard for them. But when you when you start going through it, they get it. Yeah, and I had no idea the science behind oh, it's the rejection incredible. fear it's, is. Yeah, it's not about being afraid. You know, it's it's baked into the the DNAs. So in, in the time remaining, Jeb, I, I wanted to talk about one uh, one other aspect of the book. And and you write that your objective with this book, uh, just like it was to prepare those uh, soldiers, is to prepare the reader to effectively manage the four types of objections you face throughout the sales process. And I thought it was the, the four types was very interesting. And of course, I experienced all of them. And I wondered if we could just walk through those and, and start with the first of the four are prospecting objections. And you explain that those are actually the most severe objections compared to the other three. Absolutely. Well, that's why people are afraid of prospecting. I mean, if you give, you know, put a bunch of salespeople in the room and hand them a phone, they'll all quit working because they're afraid to call invisible strangers. Because when you call a stranger up and you interrupt their day, the rejection that you get, the objection you get in that moment can be pretty harsh. And it can it can border on being personal. Mm -hmm. And Oh, I've had people uh, tell me to perform anatomically impossible <laughs> acts on myself. 
<laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, but the top of the funnel is the most important part of the sales process. If you have a full funnel, I mean, think about this. You got a full pipeline. You said the truth is that the human being in every sales conversation that has the greatest amount of emotional control has the highest probability of getting the outcome that they desire. The easiest, fastest way to have emotional control in every sales conversation is to have a pipeline that is packed full of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that level of emotional control, you win. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, we were working with a, you know, with a client. The client came back to us with this heavy negotiation. We said, we're not willing to negotiate that. This is just what we're willing to do. And the client said, well, fine, screw you. We're, we're, we're not going to do business with you. And we went okay. And we walked away, went on our day. And three days later, they called us back in and we were in control. Why? Because we had a pipeline that was massively packed, we just full, and I, we got 10 other deals we're working. So if you're not willing to work with us on, you know, on those or you want to bully us, we just move on to the next thing. We have emotional control. So, the, so with prospecting, the key is having a full pipeline, but you have to get through some pretty harsh rejection to get there. And that is why a full pipeline is why Jeb Blunt has up on the wall in his office a 3x5 index card with one word on it, next. Next. Next, just you got to call the next one. You got to keep moving. So the next type of objection is a red herring. And red herrings aren't really objections. They're almost faux rejections or false rejections. We've all faced this. We've all been there. A red herring, you know, is an, an illiterate device that basically is a, a falsehood or a misdirection that takes you off of your, a smoke your core objective. Yeah. It's a smoke screen, right? So you sit down with someone, you're having a conversation, and they go, "Well, I used your company before; it didn't work." Or, "What about your prices?" You know, or, or how many how many employees do you have? <laughs> yeah, how many employees are like on our job board? Like, how many people do you have in your database that wear red socks and get out of bed on the right side on Tuesdays? You know, that stuff like that. Yep. And and what happens is they say something in this, and and whoever whatever the situation is, you start chasing that red herring which completely derails your conversation. You either treat it like an objection or a negotiation, or you highlight something that's really negative. And in those moments, it's really about getting control of the conversation. So it's managing your emotions, framing the conversation, and making a decision whether or not it's something that you need to ignore or save for later. And that's where that ledge comes in. That's exactly, that's where the ledge comes in. So I see salespeople get derailed by red herrings more than anything else in the world. They tank their sales conversations because of that. Yeah. So it's managing that. The second type, the third type of objection are micro-commitment objections and next step objections. And so if you think about anything that you're doing, it doesn't make a difference if you're in sales, if you're getting a loan and getting an investment, working with the, the zoning board, selling your idea to the organization because you've got this great marketing and advertising idea, whatever the case may be. You, there's a series of steps that you have to go through and you're asking people to move to the next step with you. These objections, unlike say a prospecting objection that can be pretty harsh, these are really low key objections. You're asking people to make a low risk next step investment. So most of the time, it's understanding, A, why are you asking for the commitment? Why is it important to them? And just explaining the value. What I found in my, you know, my 30 years of working in, in sales is that in most cases, if I explain the value, and in fact, almost every case, if I explain the value, they almost always go to the next step. And if I explain the value and they're not willing to go to the next step, it just tells me that they're not engaged and the deal's probably not qualified and it's a good reason to move on to something else. So it's really about a, a mechanism that allows you to quickly ledge, don't get caught up in, in your anxiety and you know feeling like you're being rejected because it still feels like you're being rejected, even though you're not. 
and getting to the next step. And then the final uh, type of objection that we face are buying commitment objections. And these are objections that could be you cost too much. It could be we don't think about it. It could be I'm not the right person. It could be the timing. It could be delivery schedules. It could be any number of things. But these are when you're asking people to make the ultimate commitment to accepting the project, accepting the contract, giving you a credit card, you know, signing off on on what you're pitching to them, you know, signing off on changing the zoning of your, you know, of your office or whatever you're doing. You're asking that for that final commitment. And those objections are rarely harsh. They're rarely objection, rarely. Now, in pure transactional closes, they can be in, you know, a rejection. They can be pretty harsh. Most of us aren't working in purely transactional. So what, they, what they're typically problems with are both the status quo and the safety bias. And these are, are deep human biases against taking any risk at all. So part of dealing with buying commitment objections is doing a good job all the way through the sales process. That has a tendency to reduce them to more questions and negotiation. But they are going to come up when you ask people to give up money, time, effort. They're going to give you those things. And those are the four types of objections that you deal with. And there aren't really any other objections out there. Now, what we mostly think about when we deal with objections, we think about price objections and I'm not interested objections and time objections. All of those are are contained in these different segments of objections. It's just understanding where you are in the process and what framework you need to apply in order to move past that type of objection. And, And I would say red herrings are your number one because- those are the ones that are hardest for people in the moment when their emotions get in the way to identify as not important. Yeah, and just so the listener understands how just how unfair I am to the authors, <laughs> those four sections were a major part of the book. So prospecting objections, red herrings, micro-commitment objections, and buying commitment objections. Thank you for that answer. And just to add something to the micro-commitment objections, I can't resist – that part about micro-commitments brought to mind two excellent books that we have been featured on the, the Marketing Book Podcast. One of them is The Lost Art of Closing by Anthony Annarino, and the other one is uh, The Perfect Close by James Muir. Yes. For further reading. Absolutely. And both, and both of those, I think, I think if you, you take those two books, they're both brilliant authors. James Muir is amazing. He did a, a workshop at, at Outbound, and people came out of it absolutely raving about how good it was. And you take both of those books and you plug those, you plug objections in, they fit like, I don't know what Forrest Gump would say. They're like peas and carrots. <laughs> right. That's right. Or as Cal Naughton on Talladega Nights would say, like cocaine and waffles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so Jeb, if, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? In every conversation, the human being that exerts the greatest amount of emotional control has the highest probability of getting the outcome that they desire. Easy to say, hard to do. And took up quite a bit of the book explaining that, but uh, very well said. And are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? I have heard that James Muir's working on one, and I know he's listening, so I mentioned that. <laughs> I've heard that. I don't know what book he's working on. You know, I think you mentioned Deb Calvert, her new book, uh, Stop Leading, Start Selling. Stop Selling, Start Leading, something like that. Terrific book, yeah. Stop Selling, Start Leading, great book. Excellent book. A lot of research that went in that book, so I think that's fantastic. 
And I'm reading a couple of fascinating books. One of the books that I'm reading right now is called The Science of Fear. And it is just brilliant. I, I highly, highly, highly recommend that book. I'm also reading a book called Unlocking Yes by uh, Patrick Tinney, a fantastic book. And really good if you if you do if you're negotiating, especially big deals, it's fantastic. And I'm reading uh, a, a book called um, Psyched Up. I'm reading my second time through this book by uh, Daniel McGinn. Oh yeah, I, he was on the podcast. Terrific book. Yeah, just a wonderful, uh, wonderful book. And then finally, I give you one more that I'm reading called The Seven Sins of Memory, and by uh, Daniel Schachter. And just to give you an idea, so everybody knows, this, I'm I'm like like a I don't know a squirrel on math. This, I read like eight books all at one time, <laughs> and so because I, I, and, and most of these books I have on audio too. So I'm running, I'm, I'm listening to them on audio. And I'm reading them in my spare time, but the uh, but the one book of that group that I would say if, if you if you really want to jump into a book that's fun, that's a really fun read that also helps you understand human psychology, the book The Science of Fear, just brilliant, oh, really, yeah. really I'm good. Right, I'm writing all this down. And as a matter of fact, we've mentioned a few other books that have been on this podcast. So in your episodes show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to all there their interviews as well. So, uh, Jeb, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, book is, you know, best place to go is Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And, of course, you can get it on 1-800-CEO-READ.com. You can get it at Books A Million, all, everywhere, anywhere you want to find a book. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, great places to go. Best place to, to go find the book. The You can find out about me. You can you can go to my, my website, which is my personal website. That's Jeb Blunt. My my last name is spelled B L O U N T. So for all the Yankees, I know you say you call it Blount, but it's Blunt. So it's uh, like Roy J- Blunt. That's exactly right. J E B B L O U N T dot com. You can find me at salesgravy.com. That's our, our core website. So you'll find my podcast there. Tons of articles there. You can call me. I'm at 844-447-3737. We'll include the number on your show notes. My email is jeb at salesgravy.com, J-E-B at salesgravy.com. And of course, you can pick me up on pretty much every social media channel. Please connect me on LinkedIn. But I'm on Instagram at salesgravy, Facebook at salesgravy, Twitter at salesgravy. Pick my podcast up on iTunes and I post new videos uh, every week on my YouTube channel forward slash salesgravy. Oh, terrific. We'll include links to salesgravy.com, jebblunt.com, and we'll include a link to your Twitter Sales Gravy, if you're on Twitter, listener, please uh, send a tweet Jeb's way and thank him for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. My Twitter is Marketing Book if you want to add me to the conversation. We're also going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to this show on your podcast player of choice like uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Objections, the Ultimate Guide for Mastering the Art and Science of Getting Past No. The author is Jeb Blunt. Jeb, thank you very much for coming back to the Marketing Book Podcast. A three-time winner. Thank you, sir. And that closes the book on episode 182 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas. 
Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Content Marketing World 2018. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and get the absolute lowest price on attending, go to contentmarketingworld.com and use promo code MARKETINGBOOK. I will also include a link to Content Marketing World at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Sean M. Doyle to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Shift, 19 Practical Business-Driven Ideas for an Executive in Charge of Marketing but Not Trained for the Task. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.